we have to be comfortable with disrupting ourselves or else someone's going to do it for us. I'm your host, Dave Knox, and this is Predicting the Turn, a show that helps business leaders meet their industry's inevitable disruption head on. Welcome to another episode of Predicting the Turn. Today, I'm joined with David Van Himbergen, head of Springboard Brands at Kraft Heinz. Welcome to the show, David. Thank you. Glad to be here. Awesome. So David's old friend of mine from our days together at Procter & Gamble. And today we're going to cover some of the work he's done there, but then his new job that he moved into at uh, Kraft Heinz recently. So where I want to start, though, is in uh, my book, Predicting the Turn, I talk about this concept of disrupt the disruptors and where the Fortune 500 can take inspiration from the startups that are out there. They're innovating and doing different things. When I was writing that, one of the first things that came to mind was actually the work you were doing at Tidespin and this idea of taking an inspiration in the service industry and trying something new. So tell us about the origin story. How did you start working on Tidespin back in the day? Yeah, so um, so I had been with Procter & Gamble for, I guess, around 15 years at the time and moved all over the company in various roles. And the role that I was in, I was leading global innovation for Tide in a group that was called FEI for like front-end innovation. And within that group, we were just looking and exploring kind of newer, different models. So we actually came up to Chicago for a um, kind of a quest inspiration trip. And it was this was call it 2014. So there was a lot of chatter around the sharing economy. And that really, I think, just sparked to us about this idea of like call it Uber or Airbnb, where you can create a marketplace where a valuable brand could kind of do nothing more but just pair up supply and demand. And so that kind of led to the inspiration of like, okay, what would that look like for Tide? And eventually then we just started playing around with the model a little bit. And, you know, as we got deeper into understanding the consumer tension points of like, look, people hate doing laundry, especially if you live in a city where you may not have access to a washer and dryer and your apartment's even more of a hassle. You know, it just kind of snowballed from there. And we started to evaluate the marketplace. We saw some venture capital was going into it. And then it was just like, okay, if we were going to participate in that, what would it look like for Tide? And everything just kind of took off from there, I'd say. That's awesome. And when you had that, you know, building a technology company, that's usually not a core competency of the world of CPGs. So you don't have a bunch of coders sitting around waiting for you to do that. So how'd you even think about that launch phase? Yeah, it's actually funny. We're here at 1871 today because that was, um, I think this was our starting point. And initially, you know, we kind of went down that path of like, okay, how do we, how do we build out this model? We were very much embracing the lean startup method of like, okay, we don't want to overinvest. We want to be very focused on validating those assumptions within the business model that are most critical and not get distracted by other things. And Fortunately, so actually, our, our president, who was a sponsor, you know, the first time we came in to pitch it, we said, "Okay, look, here's the rationale strategically why we think we need to play in the space, the consumer landscape. We want some money to kind of go off and build a prototype to go off and test this model in Chicago." And uh, I think rightfully so, he kind of called us on that and was like, "Why would we invest in building that out? There's so many fundamental aspects of the business model that we need to prove out first go out and try to find a more creative solution. And that was where, you know, us being here at 1871, we were just at the early stages of establishing our membership. We actually found a company based here that had a white label solution that they were selling off the shelf to mom and pop cleaners. And so we were able to work with them and partner to create a, create a duplicate instance of that. And it was, you know, a very good 
strong platform, especially for an MVP type level service that provided all the technology that we needed. It had kind of the management dashboard for the back end stuff. It had a couple different front end mobile apps for consumer experience and also driver experience. And so finding that partnership here through 1871 and others was really, I think, the opportunistic thing that once we went back and said, okay, we've got this solution here, it's actually not going to cost us very much to get into the market very quickly. Like we're talking 30, 45 days and start learning. So I think that was kind of the pivotal moment for us and like how we handled that decision of, okay, how do you determine if you're going to build versus partner and other options out there? Yeah, no, and that's such a key part because I think a lot of people want to go hire all the engineers, hire the hackers, start building themselves and Building a digital product is a little bit different. Yeah, very challenging. And, you know, I think you, it, it's kind of the fundamental basis of the whole lean startup principle, though. But if you go off and build something and you don't know what you're going to build, you're inevitably going to waste time and resources building stuff that consumers don't want and need. So, us starting off with a solution that had at least been validated in market from the team here that was kind of that founding startup we were working with that in addition to we ran that with them for you know 6 to 12 months before we got to the point to say all right we were starting to grow out of what that solution could provide then we decided we needed to go off and build our own tech platform. But at that point, we had been in market for six plus months. And so we knew exactly like what those requirements were, additional functionality that we wanted to build, things that we didn't really need so we could get really smart about that build process. That makes sense. So recently, P&G announced that what you'd started with Tide Spin was going to be expanding nationwide as you know Tide Cleaners is kind of the name. Mm-hmm. So this, you know, at age when they talked about, it, they said, you know, this is building upon the last 15 years of PNG trying to think about service. You kind of indicate that was one of your really early inspirations. Yeah. When you've got big companies that are going outside of their traditional go to market, you know, a company that sold product now moving into service and new business models, mm-hmm. what lessons did you learn along the way of how do you change that mindset? Yeah, so um, I think as that Ad Age article cited, they talked a lot about uh, Juvian Pilot that we did in kind of 2000 in Atlanta, where it was kind of a full-service laundry. And there were a lot of great learnings from that pilot program. It, I can't remember how long it lasted, maybe a year or so, but it was great because we had a team there that we could go back to as we were starting Tide Spin and say, like, what worked, what didn't? Plus, you know, we had that concept, Tide Dry Cleaners, which is a franchising network, you know, our friend Andy Gibson's been part of that. And so like they had a lot of institutional knowledge as well. So we'd already had some seeds planted in service, realized it was important. I think what was different about Tide Spin was just the way that we were going to go to market. And it was kind of embracing this lean mentality. And everything that we did, you know, when we came up to 1871, we kind of isolated ourselves. We got into the market that we were going to operate within. We hired outside people with kind of that entrepreneurial mindset and the skills that fit where we needed and and basically built that team to say, we're, we're going to go off. We have six months to go prove this. That's enough money just to get us to that point. By the way, it's not a lot of money, so it's not like we're going to do a lot of frivolous marketing and other things. We need to be very focused on validating the operational model. But we've got six months to prove this out. If we do, great. If we don't, then we might all be looking for jobs soon. So it was kind of embracing really that entrepreneurial mindset of getting teams that were very dedicated and focused against it. But you're also feeling the reality of those constraints of like, I've got a cash burn that's limited and only getting me to this point. If I don't prove out what I promised my investors, or in this case, the management team, then 
I don't have a future beyond that point. Yeah, no, it makes total sense. So let's switch gears to the world you're in now. Yeah. So six months ago, you left P&G, moved over to Kraft Heinz, one of the biggest players in grocery. But food's also that first one that starts seeing these smaller niche players really take market share and grow. Yeah. So this new he- uh, role is the head of Springboard yeah. Springboard Brands. Yeah. What falls under it? What's your mandate and what are you working on? Yeah, so Springboard is a platform that the company built just about a year ago. And you know, I think it was at the time the company kind of realized like look, we see the the disruption happening across all the industries. You know, food, especially me stepping into food for the first time, I've been more on the the soap or the the toothpaste business in my career at P&G, but just shocked at the number of of entrants coming in and and you it's pretty apparent like the influence of how much influence the people of just new diet trends etc things that were shaping clean ingredients and so products within the Kraft Heinz portfolio, I think they realized like, okay, we've got number one, number two brands, but there's a lot of disruption coming. There's this emerging trend across natural, organic, clean products that obviously that's where a lot of the focus from startups is centered around. And we're not really, we're not at Kraft Heinz positioned to win there. So we need to figure out how do we start building capability and partnering with folks on the outside that are building these authentic propositions. They've got an inspiring founder story, but they're out there creating these propositions that are, we believe are going to disrupt the future of food and beverage. And so Springboard's really designed to be the platform to allow Kraft Heinz to participate in that. So within it, we've kind of got, there's three pillars to it. We've got an incubator program. So we invite startups to apply to be part of the program. We're focused on very early stage food and beverage companies, typically less than $5 million in sales, but ideally they've got a products, so there's something that we can work with. Um, but we invite them in. You know, there's a it's a very competitive application. We get two two and a half percent acceptance, so we get around 200 applications. We choose five companies from that. We had the first class graduate last fall, and really this is a 16 week program where we bring them in, we mentor them, we introduce them to a lot of capability, we help coach them, give them access to our facilities so that they can start to think about their future product pipeline, and bring them in for that 16 week program and hope that you know. Know, mentorship, their collaboration, and just working with other startup participants in their class that they're going to learn and advance themselves so that they accelerate and they can increase their projections for the following year. So that's kind of one big pillar of the program, which is great. So our second cohort actually starts in two weeks here, and we've doubled the size of that program to now where we'll be doing two classes per year. The second big pillar is our accelerator program. So we have a few brands within the Kraft Heinz legacy portfolio that we believed had a lot of voltage. So Devour, Boca, Jello, Play, which is kind of an extension off the Jello brand, and then Momofuku is a, a joint partnership we have with David Chang, who leads Momofuku Restaurant Group. So that one is really around like, okay, taking existing brands where we feel like they have a lot of potential, but they were brands within our wheelhouse that we could plate drop into the portfolio from day one and start learning against. And then the third pillar in that is kind of around partnerships, which is 
acquisitions, mergers and acquisitions. And so kind of the biggest news on that front was the beginning of January, we announced that we were acquiring Primal Kitchen, which was a, um, you know, a very strong player with a great founding story that their core business was in kind of sauces and salad dressings, which is the kind of stronghold categories for Kraft Heinz, but they've got a very clean ingredient profile and standards, and uh, they've had a lot of success in the natural channel. So it just made a lot of sense as being a great fit within our portfolio of, you know, not only it's complementary within channels where maybe we don't have the strength, but then there's just a lot to be learned from that just in terms of their go-to-market approach. So talent is a big part of predicting the turn. And as we talk about talent, I wanted to mention one of our sponsors, Hunt Club. Imagine the power of the best marketers in the world helping you to find your next marketing leader. That's the power of Hunt Club. Hunt Club is a new category of talent company that powers the network of experts, connectors, and business leaders to help you find the best talent. Let's face it, recruiting hasn't changed with the times. Hunt Club is changing the recruiting game by leveraging technology and crowdsource referrals to find you the best people possible for your company. Stop paying job boards that don't work or recruiting firms that recycle the same active candidates. Partner with Hunt Club. So let's talk a little bit more about Primal Kitchen because I think that's a really interesting acquisition because it's in a, like you said, a space, a category you've been already playing in. Yeah. So how do you maintain that spirit of entrepreneurship when you do an acquisition? Also, when some of that market share that startup was gaining was coming at the expense of your parent company? Yeah. You know, that's tough. I think first and foremost, it comes from a mentality standpoint of, I think, which more and more big CPG companies are embracing is that, look, we have to be comfortable with disrupting ourselves or else someone's going to do it for us. So I think there was just an openness broadly to that, that Kraft Heinz management had of that. And that's really the justification for why they launched Springboard in the first place. But in terms of really protecting that entrepreneurial spirit and making sure you don't lose the unique aspects of that culture that allowed that company to be successful, we we actually researched quite a bit and did some benchmarking against other big companies and those that have succeeded and failed as they acquire these bolt-on companies. And what we ultimately decided on is that, look, we want to maintain the independence and autonomy of this company as long as we can. So when we were working with Primal Kitchen on that deal, we talked a lot about like, look, we want to make sure that you guys are retained, you're staying on, you realize that we want you to be part of this vision. And so that team, which is largely based out in Los Angeles, California, like they're retained, they're still operating the day-to-day business. And a lot of the integration that we work on of like, okay, well, Kraft Heinz has a lot of capability, either from an R&D standpoint, or maybe even relationships through sales channels and whatnot. That integration kind of happens at their discretion. So we're here to kind of provide them with like, hey, here's some of the experience and things that capabilities that we have that now you have access to. But we want them to really be the ones that are pulling it from us and that we're not pushing it on them. And I think that's critical so that they still feel that ownership sense that this is their product and and their brand. So, you know, I think we're still very much early into this, right? It's kind of a couple months since the deal, but so far I think you talk to the team which I do regularly and you know, I think just others in the company we feel highly confident that we're going to be successful in this pr- approach. Love it. So, you talked about the incubator program is one of the things you're spending a lot of time on. <laughs> And what's interesting is that is 
at the stage between experimentation and proof of concept, yeah. which is really, really early stage for a big company to be getting involved in quite a few, you know, high failure rate that you're seeing at companies of that phase. Yeah. So what led you to be that kind of the focus that you wanted to dive into when you thought about the incubator? Yeah. And I think for us, it was, um, we felt that was probably the time in the life cycle where we could have the most impact as Kraft Heinz. Cause you get, I think it's pretty obvious the barriers of entry are very low now to start a product. You can find production, you can find capital, you can find distribution channels and you can advertise your brands through social media channels. So it's very easy for people to start up. So there's, you know, a lot of people that are passionate that maybe have experienced some issue in their lifetime around like a health or some limitation on their diet that drive them into like, Hey, I want to change the world. I know I can do that through food because this is something that's personally affected me. So, you know, they've got this passion and desire to do it, but they may not have the experience or the resources or the know-how. So focusing at that early stage, we feel like we can help support entrepreneurs who are very passionate about an idea, about affecting and, you know, using a bit of a cliche room, but disrupting the future of food and beverage that as we're going to help enable them to get something started because we can offer up some small capital, but then just give them access to like, okay, what does it mean to build a brand? What do you need to think about when you're designing that package? Not only from a like a visual aspect, but even from like a structural, like what's that experience of as I open the product up, as I think about my preparation instructions, how are you making that easy depending on your consumer target, et cetera. Like these are all things that people people at Kraft Heinz like obsess about and because we do it every day, but someone that's maybe a, a new startup, they may not know that. And so that's really, I think where we felt we had the biggest opportunity to make an impact. And then there's just, I think there's also to be said something about like just the energy that it creates there. You, these companies that are so early, they just, I think there's just so much hope and just energy from that. And like, as we've worked with them, like our folks on our springboard team internally that are maybe working on like the accelerator side, they just feed off of that a lot. And so there's, you know, there's a lot to learn. And then there's, I think, just the spirit that just transcends across the organization when you bring them in. So, yeah. And that energy can't be underestimated. So no. with that, like, do they come and live in Chicago for, you know, the course of the program? Like, how are you getting the rest of Kraft Heinz to feel that energy? Yeah. Yeah. So we have, um, we bring them in. So it's a 16 week program. We bring them into Chicago. We don't require that we're here, that they're here the full 16 weeks because they're still growing and developing their business. Their sales calls, usually their production that's a co-packer is usually in another location. So we realize they have to visit them, but we really recommend that they have one person that's kind of on site throughout the 16 week period. And then there are about five weeks across the 16 weeks that we say like, those are pretty critical. You should probably be here at least like the founding team, like two to three members to represent. Uh, but we buy, we lease space for them out of a, we work over on uh, Michigan Avenue, just off of Grant park. So they're kind of the same thing as like when we were here in Tidespin immersed in 1871, when you're in that culture, you feel the energy, there's just natural collaboration that happens among the teams just because of the way the space is designed or even other startups within that group. And so I think that allows the teams to be very productive and kind of maintain that spirit um, and transfer of energy. And then, you know, we're bringing folks in from Kraft Heinz, like our headquarters just down the street in the Aon Center. We'll bring them over frequently, either as part of the curriculum and teaching the classes, or like we like to do showcases with the... the um, 
the the founding teams where we'll in like the 76th floor common area, we'll have just a showcase where they can kind of demo their products. They can talk about it. And then throughout maybe a couple hour period, people throughout the company can kind of cycle through when they have free time and just learn and meet the company. So it feels kind of a good balance in terms of allowing that energy flow and transition to kind of go both ways. Yeah, I love that. So you mentioned that you're doing, you did a lot of benchmarking, what worked for some people, what didn't work for others. As you think about what's next for Springboard as you enter month seven, month yeah, eight here, yeah. uh, what companies are inspiring you for thinking about the next step for where you want to take Springboard? Yeah, I mean, I think there are there are a lot of companies out there that certainly seem to be playing in this new venture or looking at how do I supplement my R&D pipeline with some external arm, whether that be a venture investment or some kind of incubator program and whatnot. And there's certainly a lot across food that have been doing it, um, certainly longer than Springboard as well. Like General Mills has 301, Chobani has its own program. Unilever is kind of very famously, they've done a lot, even kind of going back to their Ben and Jerry's days as they've kind of protected some of their acquisitions. So, you know, I think it's, it's about constantly learning. You know, next week is Expo West, which is kind of the biggest trade show for all food and beverage startups. I'm really excited about that because it'll be my first show. It's I've heard it's a zoo, so I'm kind of preparing for that. But I got a very busy agenda where I'm just out trying to network and meet people. So setting up uh, meetings with folks on the investor side to understand kind of hey, what are they saying? What are deals that they're working on? Companies in their portfolio might be. Mature maturing to the point where they're looking for a strategic partner to exit with. There's meeting entrepreneurs and other startup companies to say, hey, can you find those folks that, you know, not only have that passion, but they've got this inspiring story and, you know, there's a very attractive upside that we see where it could be a good portfolio fit for Kraft Heinz. And then I think third is just advisors out in the industry. So it's such a, I mean, I kind of found that back in my days when I was in the Chicago startup community here in 1871 and others of just like how closely connected everyone is within the community and how willing they are to help and support. So I just feel like the more interactions and connections you can make, you just inevitably are going to benefit from that down the road because you'll there'll be a challenge that you'll encounter and you'll be like, gosh, here's something I've got to try to solve and trying to work through. And then you remember like, okay, here's someone that I had met back a while ago. They had a similar problem or they've got an expertise that might be able to help. Let me give them a call and see if they can help out. So it's kind of like, you know, a little bit of staying connected into the industry and just constantly assessing, like, what are other people doing out there? Um, you know, I kind of took that question a little bit of a path of like not just the big companies, but even just I think it's a little bit about this uh, the method and just the networking and just staying very connected to everyone so that you're you're staying on top of the the trends. Yeah, no, but that's a really key thing because you know as we think about innovation and all the other buzzwords out there. A lot of people just focus on the companies and how the companies need to change. But companies are made up of people. Mm -hmm. And a lot of those people have been trained in a certain way of doing things. And that's what they know. That's how they do brand building or marketing or, you know, even their industry as a whole. Over your career, you've had a lot of shifts that you've done. You came into P&G doing systems analyst, Mm -hmm. moved into brand marketing, then became kind of this corporate innovator that was challenging the status quo. Yeah. How have you thought about that continuous learning just for yourself and shifting gears in your own career 
as you're in the middle of your career. Yeah, it's it's funny. You know, I'll look back sometimes and think about where I started and how far I've come. And like, I think you lose sight of that at times. And that's, I think, typical for an entrepreneurial journey too, is like, I would talk to other founders is like, you get so deep into like the day to day. So you really have to force yourself to step back and see the progress. And I would do that frequently in just our journey with tide spin. But even if I do that on my reflecting on my career, you know, yeah, I came in as, as a systems analyst supporting a financial reporting system, but always like what attracted me to P and G at the time. And even what I see in Kraft Heinz is just the openness to new opportunities and to grow continuously. So I just took advantage of that. And I think, uh, you know, just constantly connecting with people, you know, in my mind to say, all right, if I'm going to work for a big consumer products company, like marketing and brand management is the path towards leadership. And so, you know, that's the skills that I wanted to build. And so eventually I just kind of tried to step to get at least some degrees closer to, okay, is this the right fit? Am I properly prepared so that I can be successful there? And then I've just kind of taken advantage of that all along the way. Honestly, as I think about my time when I was responsible for global innovation on Tide, that was my prior assignment. I was up on our target business in Minneapolis. And there I'm kind of all the way at the downstream end of kind of the business where we're, you know, working with the sales team, helping influence buyers, selling marketing programs. Like we're at retail, like negotiating. And when I was first, you know, I obviously wanted to stay in laundry and they were like, okay, we're going to put you in front end innovation, which is on the other end of it. I was like, Ooh, like this might not be good. This is totally different from all of my experience. But I think just being open to the new opportunities and then, you know, within there, I think you just try to continue to dig and find that little, I think that nugget that you real, you feel like you can really invest behind and it can become eventually your gem. And, you know, I just kind of was able to identify that early on. And I was like, okay, look, we're talking about new business models. I'm extremely excited about the evolution of technology and what impact that has into creating new business models and whatnot. So I just kind of jumped onto that and then just wrote it and was fortunate enough to have leadership that was willing to uh, support that. They allowed us to come up to 1871 here. They allowed us to run this thing for, you know, two and a half, three years. It's still going today, but um, I think it's just being open to new opportunities and trying to find the best that you can make out of it. And I, you know, I think it comes down to personality a little bit as well as I think I'm naturally curious, ambitious, and just want to make sure that I'm using my time to the best. Like I, I never want to get caught in a moment where I feel like I'm just watching the clock move by throughout the day, waiting for it to strike like five 30 or whatever. And it's time to go home. Like I want my days to just kind of race through where it feels a little chaotic at times, but like, that's what energizes me. Um, and so that's typically what I've looked for. And, you know, I think it's, the fun thing about where I've ultimately ended up here with Kraft Heinz is I feel like it allowed me to kind of leverage the prior experience to kind of build and even stretch into more areas. So now with Springboard, not only are we looking at where we can kind of build new disruptive brands, but we've got this incubator program so we can work with companies to build relationships early into that venture and life cycle. And then ultimately with someone like a Primal Kitchen, someone that's already done it and they've kind of been through that four-year journey and now you know, they've, they've grinded it out, but they're looking at how do I take that next step and Excel to the next level? 
Yeah. So you talked about curiosity there. And that curiosity is at the heart of every entrepreneur. And it's also it needs to be at the heart of every big company that's thinking about that next generation. Not every employee is wired that way. Mm -hmm. Um, So how do you think companies can really encourage that curiosity and that entrepreneurial thinking thinking so they can get to the next level and be around for the next 100 years? Yeah, I think... um it, it probably comes down to a few things. I think first, you probably need to establish it as a cultural value for the company. So just, you know, you put it on the wall to say, we care about this. And then that kind of trickles down to say, as you're off recruiting employees or you're assessing fit for roles and opportunities, you're saying like, okay, does this person seem naturally curious? Are they constantly learning new things? Are they asking questions and kind of poking around where they don't understand just to kind of get that baseline? So I think, you know, one, it starts with just the cultural standpoint and establishing it as a value. I think, two, you need to create some space to allow for it. It's very easy to get caught up in the day-to-day and just running around with whatever the latest fire drill is. Um, you know, there's always going to be an instance where, you know, you're behind on a project or there's an issue at retail that needs to be addressed. And so you're kind of solving those fires, fighting those fires all the time. So, you know, I think the more that you can try to carve out space for people and so that they're putting that time into thoughtful and you're encouraging them like, hey, learn new skills, go off and subscribe to the Shopify blog, read that regularly, go out and take a class, go out to General Assembly in Chicago and take a class on like, how do I build out a social media marketing campaign? Start your own little company. Like, you know, so kind of encouraging that I can go on and on with all the examples, but I think encouraging that. And then I think the third and final piece of it is just kind of rewards and recognition. So like, you know, you kind of say, this is important. You encourage people to actually invest in that time. Then the third thing is, is once they've practiced that behavior, you want to reward it, encourage it to happen over and over again. So, you know, I think where there are examples where people have kind of gone off and they've taken a leap to learn a new skill, maybe there's a way that you can put it into like a practical application in the company and you give them a small side project. That's not a major investment, but it's 10% of their time where they can kind of build and refine those skills, put them into practice. It might have a business impact. It might not. But then it at least is an example where, hey, the company is recognizing and rewarding this, and then they're giving folks new opportunities because they've taken the initiative to go off and learn new skills. Those are some great tips. So. Huh. Thank you so much for taking the time. I'm excited to see where you take Springboard as you lead them on this next part of the journey. So thank you for sharing the time and uh, looking forward to talking again real soon. Yeah, thanks, Dave. Appreciate the opportunity. Take care.